I want to start this morning with, with a quote uh, from a devotion. Unfortunately, I don't know who wrote this, uh, so I apologize, but these are not my words, but I thought it was worth reading. So he says this, I, he or she, I find it hard to fathom the challenge that was undertaken by our forebears over 200 years ago. Yet it would do us well to stop for a moment and review the situation they faced. Upon declaring independence, they became enemies of the world's richest, most powerful nation of that time. They had no army to speak of. They had no real industry to build weapons of war. They were wholly lacking in financial resources, and they had no navy to at least keep the British army at an arm's distance. Yet in spite of all these things, they undertook the challenge of liberty. Likewise, we as believers enjoy liberty through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're just saying about that. Uh, but it continues, we are set free from the bondage of our sins. We have free access to the Father, and we have real liberty to commune with the Holy Spirit. So take the time today to pray and thank God for your liberty as an American and as a believer in our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. And uh, we, uh, like I said, going to keep planning to continue to celebrate the liberty we have as Americans this afternoon. But right now we're going to talk about the liberty or freedom that we have uh, in Christ. And um, the, when I think about the two, they're similar and yet very different. Uh, Thomas Jefferson was right when he said this, the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. It is its natural manure. <laughs> but if you think about that, it's proven to be true. And uh, since, he, since he made that statement you know, so many years ago, the freedom that we enjoy has come at a great cost. And they estimate over a million American men and women have given their lives over the year fighting for, uh, to, to earn that freedom and then to protect that freedom. But uh, this morning we're looking at a different kind of freedom. And it's the freedom that we've been singing about. It's the freedom that we have in Jesus. And uh, we see that when, the, when our forefathers made that declaration, they faced a great foe. And we see in Scripture, we'll see here in just a second, when Jesus came and declared essentially that he was the Messiah, that he had come to give liberty, he too was met with resistance. And so that's where we're going to start this morning. It'll be in Luke chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can be turning there. And uh, we're just going to commit this time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we truly are thankful for the many blessings that we have uh, to live in this country. Uh, but Lord, even greater than that are the blessings found in you. And as we celebrate both these things this morning, would you just open our eyes to the truths of your word? Uh, help us to understand uh, what it means for us today and just how we can uh, apply these things to our lives and see that it's making a difference for um, uh, how we're living, how we're viewing things, how we're viewing the people around us. So. Um, we just commit this time to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so Luke chapter 4. Um, Jesus is really just getting going in his ministry. So he's probably um, met the woman at the well already. He's probably turned water into wine in Cana. Um, he's healed the, the official son in Capernaum, probably doing some other things as well. Because here in verse 14 it says, 
Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit, so indicating he wasn't just doing these things on his own. He was, uh, he was in sync with the Father, and the, uh, through the power of the Spirit, he's uh, doing these miracles. And a report about him went through all the surrounding countries. In other words, word was getting out. Like people were talking about this, this man, uh, this Jesus, this prophet, this, we're not sure who he is, but we're talking about him because he's doing some special things. Um, so it says, he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. So Jesus has been teaching in the synagogues. He's at least earned some level of, of respect or status in that he was welcome to read scripture and teach in the synagogue. So he was doing this, it seems like, on a regular basis, being glorified by all. So people were saying, man, what a great teacher he was. Didn't you just, weren't your, was your heart just warmed when he spoke? Like you probably speak about Pastor Jerry. Um, so he'll be back next week, by the way. Um, but it says, Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So Jesus has returned to his hometown. Uh, so he's back in Blairsville. And it says, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And what we really want to talk about this morning is what he wanted to read. But I'm making a comment here. It says, as was his custom. And uh, how, many, how many testimonies have you heard where someone says, well, I grew up in church and, uh, you know, I did all the things with mom and dad. And then I got out on my own. I kind of did my own thing for a while. didn't really go. But we see Jesus grew up in Nazareth, going to church. He left. He's still going to church. It says that was his custom of doing. So it made me think about this. Why did Jesus go to the synagogue every Sunday? Did Jesus need teaching? Did he need fellowship? Did he need encouragement? Of course, the answer is, well, no, he was God. So he didn't need anything. So what was he doing there? I think he understood the importance of gathering together, that, that other people could benefit from his encouragement. Other people could benefit from his fellowship or his teaching. And so I look out this morning, I see that you guys are here. And I think you guys are here because you feel the same way, that you can, you can learn here, you can teach others here, maybe your Sunday school teacher or a small group leader. There's fellowship, there is a community. If you're gathering with us online, uh, you're still gathering. And so we're excited that you're here with us this morning. And uh, my prayer is that as we, as we move more and more towards uh, uh, a less distanced society, that, that those watching online will be back to join us. And so uh, we need to recognize the value of getting together. It's not just, well, I read my Bible and I, I say my prayers. I kind of do my own thing and I'm okay. Jesus saw the value in coming together. And so I appreciate that you guys are here uh, this morning and see that value as well. And we talked about last week, each one of us has a part to play, even within this body. So um, so uh, let's see. He went, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. He stood up to read. So um, in, in the first century synagogues, they would have, you know, similar to, to us, they had an order of service, and some would read and some would pray, uh, possibly they sang. Uh, we don't know all that they did, but different ones would read, and so Jesus, it was his turn to uh, read scripture. So it says, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. We don't know if that was just, you know, if they were on a Bible reading plan that they were working through. We don't know if Jesus said to the guys, hey, if, uh, it's my turn this week. Can you pass me the Isaiah scroll? But one way or another, Jesus gets the scroll from Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. 
So as we, as we read these next few verses, realize when we read these verses, we recognize that Jesus is speaking about himself because we know the rest of the story. For this congregation that was gathered there that morning, it was just, it was Jesus' turn to read and he picked a passage and he was reading it. It was not, uh, initially anyways, they did not recognize this as a declaration that he was making. But anyways, Jesus is reading, this is what it says. This is what he decided to read that morning. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So again, they're thinking, oh yes, Jesus is reading that portion of scripture talking about the Messiah. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and all the And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. So the custom would have been to stand to read the scripture and then to sit down to discuss it and have a teaching about it. And he began to say to them, today this, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. So Quite possibly that wasn't the only thing that Jesus said when he sat down, but he sat down and said, this has been, proclaimed, or this has been fulfilled in your presence today, and possibly he was expounding on that passage. And so they thought, wow, this, he's so gracious. He, they marveled at his teaching and thought, wow, he's just such a good teacher. We're so blessed to have him. And then I think the words started to sink in what he was saying. They, 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 thought, they were like, well, wait a minute. Is this Joseph's son? Did he just say that he, is he claiming to be the Messiah? Joseph's son? I mean, is this even Joseph's son? Isn't this the one, you know, for 30 years they've been whispering behind his back about the circumstances around his birth probably. And they're saying, is, is he really saying that he is the Messiah? So this starts to become a problem for them because they had a picture of what the Messiah would be. Possibly noble birth, uh, definitely someone of influence, someone with the ability to overthrow the Roman government if, if he were to come at that time, someone who would be able to lead them, someone who would be able to uh, relieve them from the Roman tyranny. And they're sitting around saying, this is Joseph's son. Like my kids played with him. You know, he, him, the, the carpenter shop, like he's not... So they were... Aggravated, and this is why Jesus said, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me." Now we don't we talk about the Spirit of the Lord, and we think, well, yeah, every believer has the Spirit, but not so in this time. And so when Jesus says, "The Spirit of the Lord is on me," He's saying, "I'm I'm the Anointed One." Um, can we go back to eighteen, Craig? He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. So when it says here that um, He has anointed me. This word anointed is where we get the word Christ from, or Messiah. And so Jesus is saying, I've been, I've, been, I've been deemed to be the anointed one. I am the Messiah. And so he says he's going to do three things. He's going to proclaim liberty to the captives. He's going to recover the sight of the blind. And he's going to set at liberty those who were oppressed. Now, Jesus certainly did amazing things, 
right? We can think about the miracles that Jesus did. It would include healing. Specifically, we do know that he um, gave sight to the blind. He did many other miracles. He would have uh, forgiven sins. He cast out demons. He did a lot of things. But we know that Jesus was um, more, always more concerned for the individual soul than for their physical well-being. And we also know we can look at the scripture and we can see Jesus didn't set anyone free from prison. And he certainly did not deliver the Israelites um, out from underneath the oppression of the Romans. So what did he mean by this statement? What did he mean when he was going to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and liberty to those who are oppressed? And maybe the next thing I thought to myself is, is he still doing the same thing today? Everybody nod their heads. Right? That's why we're here, because he's done that for us. We're excited about who he can do that for in the future. So this word liberty, um, I think we we need to understand what it means. Um, It means to release from bondage. Many places in the New Testament, this same word is also translated forgiveness or in the King James, remission. So it's the, this, with this idea of forgiveness, it is letting someone go as if no wrong was committed. Now that's a tall order. Okay, think about forgiveness. Letting someone go as if no wrong was committed. Now, that's just not how our culture works, right? So if, if someone commits a crime, uh, they, they get arrested, they're convicted, they go to jail, they do their time, they're let free, but then what? They're a convicted felon. And depending on the severity of their crime, they don't have all the freedoms that they once had. And so this idea of letting go as if uh, no wrong was committed... It's not the way our culture works. It's, not, it's difficult for us to do that in our relationships, husbands and wives. Forgiving as if no wrong had been committed. That's a tall order. Is that just Sarah and I? That's a tall order. But this is what, um, this is what Jesus said he's come to do. Ephesians 1.7. This would be another uh, place where this word liberty um, is, is used. In him... We have redemption through his blood. So this idea of of redemption is that uh, we've been delivered. The ransom's been paid. We're free to go. Uh, We have redemption through his blood. Another way to say it, the forgiveness of our trespasses or the forgiveness of our sin or the letting go as if no wrong had been committed for our sins according to the riches of his grace. This is what Jesus said he came to do. And so this is much more than a lot of times the forgiveness that, that we offer a uh, husband or wife or, or friend. Um, it is arguably something only possible through Christ. So the, the truth for us this morning is that we do live in a great country with great freedoms. Freedom is fought for. Freedom is a right. We celebrate that this weekend. And yet, there are so many who are spiritually still captive, blind, and oppressed. So here's the, the good news of the gospel. Hopefully one of the reasons, maybe the main reason that you come every Sunday. Jesus is still in the business of setting people free. And that's something that we can celebrate. 
That's the good news. And so um, it has been put this way multiple times and lots of, uh, kind of everybody uses this model that we have been set free from sin in three different ways. We've been set free from the penalty of sin. We've been set free from the power of sin. And we've been set free from the presence of sin. And uh, we're going to just briefly look at those things this morning. So we have a, just a good understanding of this freedom that we have in Christ. So number one, we are free from the penalty of sin. Uh, you want to use a big word, this is our justification. So Romans 6.23, familiar verse, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it, possibly when you were saved, somebody shared this verse with you. Possibly if you've uh, witnessed to somebody, you've used this verse. And it's a concept that's easy to understand, this idea of the wages of sin is death, or the payment of sin is death. And so um, I remember just being a young boy. I had two brothers and my dad, um, I think it was, this, I couldn't remember first service. I think it was the Sears catalog. My dad got a Sears catalog route, not because he needed the money, but he was going to teach us about earning a wage. And so we would load up the wagon with catalogs and he'd walk down the street and we would go door to door dropping off Sears catalog. I was probably like... I don't know if I was six, I might have been five. So then we would deliver the catalogs and I would get home and I would say, where's my money, dad? And he would say, well, it hasn't come yet. So the next week, you know, the, I guess he would get paid. I don't know how it worked. All I just know is he would dump this change jar out and he would divide the money up between me and my two brothers. And then as I got older, I got my own paper route. So I would deliver the newspaper each day, um, all week long. Friday, though, was the... Anybody have a, a newspaper route that they did? When yeah, sure. So Friday, uh, th where, the, where I delivered papers, you had to collect your own money for the newspaper and then go down to the office and pay it. So Friday, I'd knock on the doors, and I wouldn't give them their paper yet. And they'd open the door, and I'd say, I'm collecting. Well, they understood, right? I brought them their paper every week. I wanted my money now. So I would get my dollar sixty cents for delivering their paper for the week. So this idea of earning a paycheck, we're all familiar. You've got your own stories of your first paycheck. So look at this, though. The wages of sin is death. So when we choose to, to operate outside of God's will, we are earning a paycheck. And, and we get confused because we think, um, that we are making choices for our own personal pleasure, for our own satisfaction. Maybe we think, well, this is, it'll just be easier if I do it this way. And we think that we are earning convenience. We think we're earning satisfaction. We think that we're earning uh, temporary pleasure. But we're earning a paycheck. And the, the, what will be due to us is not satisfaction, pleasure, and an easy way out, what will be due to us is death. And this is what this, this, this verse is teaching. So it's not just, it's not, this isn't just something that Paul came up with when he was writing to the Romans. We go back to Genesis chapter 3, and we will, Genesis 3, 21 through 23. This is where Adam and Eve had, had done the same thing. God put them in a beautiful garden. He said, eat of anything you want, just don't eat from this one tree. And so what did Adam and Eve do? They went and ate from that tree, right? Eve first and then Adam. And uh, then they, they knew. They knew they had uh, committed a sin against God. They knew they gave in to some sort of temporary personal pleasure, satisfaction. And, and they knew that there was 
there's going to be a consequence. So it sowed the fig leaves. The Lord came to him looking for him, found him in the garden, and this is what God did for him. It says, The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So the big question is, well, where did, this, where, where did the garments of skins come from? Some, an animal, right? So an animal died so that Adam and Eve could be covered. So this is right from the very beginning. We see that um, Adam and Eve earned this wage and it resulted in death. But not just the death of this animal. Uh, verse 22 says this. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. God said, if eat from that tree, they'll just live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. So then Adam and Eve earned this physical death uh, for their sins. So there is a penalty to be paid for our sin, and that penalty, that wage, what we have earned, is death. But that's not the end of the story. And in the second half of this verse, it says, The free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's good news. Jesus came to bring liberty to the captives. That's, that's you, that's me. We are in bondage to sin. We'd earn this big fat paycheck. It's called death. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to offer a free gift. It's from God. It's the eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God says, I'll, I'll send my son. He'll live the perfect life. He will be the perfect sacrifice. He'll pay for your sin. And it's this beautiful exchange. Our sin for his life. And it talks about in 2 Corinthians 5.21. I'm going to substitute pronouns so that we understand um, Who's speaking of who here? It says, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin. Jesus knew no sin. So that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus frees us from the penalty of sin. That is our justification. So as, a, as an unbeliever, someone who does not know God, we've earned this paycheck. It's death because we have gone our own way. But God sent his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins so we could have that relationship with him. That's the good news of the gospel. We'll look at Ephesians 1.7. Just go back to it one more time just to reiterate this point. In Jesus, we have redemption. We have been set free through his blood. The forgiveness of our sin. It's as if no wrong had been committed. We are given uh, Jesus' righteousness according to the riches of his grace. That's the good news of the gospel. That is the freedom we have in Christ from the penalty of our sin. Uh, so the second thing was, though, we also have freedom from the power of sin. So another big religious word would be sanctification. Our sanctification, freedom from the power of sin in our lives as a believer. And we're going to look in Romans chapter 7 to get a, a, an understanding of, of this idea of freedom from the power of sin. So this is, this is a benefit of our salvation uh, for the believer. Paul's writing and he's talking about this difficulty that, that he experiences, that we as believers experience. We've been given this new life in Christ and yet we still sin. We want to do right and we choose to do what's wrong. So it says, I find it to be a law that, I want, that when I want to do right... Evil lies close at hand. Who's experienced that? 
Yeah. So this past week, um, we've been, Peter mentioned uh, CLBC day camp, elementary kids coming this week, and uh, we're trying to make Monday morning go smoothly. Like, that's our goal. First day, registration, parents aren't allowed out of the vehicle, you know, all these additional guidelines, and so we're trying to get it all set. So Sarah and I were working late on Friday evening up at the Family Life Center. And Sarah says to me, well, I'll just tell you my state of mind. I didn't want to be there. <laughs> all right? It is, it's Friday night. This is long weekend, July 4th. Everyone else is probably at the lake already. And I'm up here stapling packets and stuffing bags. And I'm thinking, so Sarah said to me, how long are you going to be grumpy? <laughs> and I said, I'm trying, Okay. So I found it to be a law that when I wanted it to do right, evil was close at hand. So, you know, we're working away. She's like, Jeff, are you just going to stay grumpy? We got something to eat. You know, I felt a little bit better. And then, then uh, she's like, we just need to move. And I was like, oh, you know. And uh, she's like, her pace is like twice mine at this point, you know, because she's bopping along. She's like, Probably at least a half a dozen times, she said, Jeff, how long are you going to be grumpy? And each time I said, okay, I'm trying, and this is the verse. I found that I wanted to do what was right, but this evil was close at hand. Uh, let's keep going here. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, right? We, we, we read God's word. We want to please our Savior. We want to do what's right. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind. I'm grumpy, right? Making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. I wasn't pleasant to be with. I was making, you know, we're, we're so close to the finish and instead of celebrating that, well, man, we're almost done. We're going to go home. And, you know, Sarah was, had a good attitude and I'm dragging along. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, okay, we're laughing, right? But let's, let's be real. Sometimes this is, a, this is kind of a, a, a silly thing, and it wasn't right of me to be that way. Um, I appreciate you, the, the grace you're showing me and just laughing. But we deal with big things sometimes. And sometimes this is a big deal that we're dealing with. Man, I want to do right, but that is just going to be too tough, so I'm not going to do it. Who will deliver me from this body of death? All right, here's some more good news for the believer. Thanks be to God, it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus gives the ability to do what is right when you're tired, when you're grumpy, when you're tempted, when you just want to, when your body's saying you want, they, your, your mind, you just want to do one thing, you're saying, but I want to do what's right, and you're in this battle. It says, so then I must serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Um, so this is, this is the struggle right here. So the question is, well, yeah, I get that, Jeff. I mean, I, I deal with that too. We're all humans. So what is the answer? Well, back in, uh, I think it's verse 22, uh, it says, I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I think that's the first key is we, we just hold on to. How do we, how do we see this uh, freedom over the power of sin in our life is when we delight in the law of God. There's several verses I just want to mention. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart. For what reason? That I might not sin against you. When we have God's word in our heart, it helps us to know what is right, to even know what we should or should not 
be doing. Uh, Psalm 1 contrasts the righteous man with the unrighteous man. And so the righteous man says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So there's a real practical thing. You're having trouble with sin. One question you can ask yourself was, who am I hanging out with? Are they influencing me poorly? Uh, But look at this. The righteous man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, he meditates day and night. So there's a delight for God's word. There's a desire for God's word, a passion for that, for God's word. And there's a meditation, there's reflection, there's contemplation, there's thinking. And here's the result, verse 3. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That just sounds good right there, doesn't it? The picture there is just perfect. You don't even need to add to it. And so the person who delights in God's word, who meditates in God's word, is like a a strong tree with deep roots producing fruit, useful uh, in all that he does. And then another practical one in uh, Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So there again... The, the transformation in our life starts with our mind, understanding what God's word is. Um, it says here, by test, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And of course, it begins by knowing what that is by being in the word. And so this idea of being free from the presence of sin, or excuse me, free from the power of sin begins, I believe, with delighting in God's word, knowing God's word, enjoying God's word, consuming that. Um, But then uh, back to Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, we've been doing ESV. I'm going to look at this in the New Living Translation. Um, I think I went a little bit out of order there for Craig. But so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now that's good news. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. But look at this here in verse 2. Because you belong to him... The power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So the Holy Spirit power um, that, uh, excuse me, the the life-giving power of the spirit has freed you from the power of sin. So in the same way that the Holy Spirit uh, comes into you when you are saved and we are freed from the penalty of sin, now it's the spirit doing the work in you to free you from the power of sin in your life. Um, Further on in Romans chapter 8, we'll look at verse 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, we know that he is as believers, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And Paul's continuing this uh, thing that he's been talking about in Romans 6, 7, and 8. He keeps going back and forth about that as a Christian, we have died to sin, but we have become alive to Christ. And verse 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, think of that, the spirit of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. If God can raise Jesus from the dead... God can keep me from being grumpy when I'm tired and worn out and rather be barbecuing than uh, stuffing bags and folding pamphlets, right? And, and if, if 
the, if the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me, then I can make good business decisions. I can make good decisions with Sarah. I can make good decisions as a father. And you can too. This is, this is the power of the Spirit within us. But we must depend on the Spirit. We must delight in God's Word, and we must depend on the Spirit. Galatians 5 says this, verse 16. But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So as we walk with the, with the Holy Spirit, we're having this conversation with Him. We know what God wants because we've delighted in His Word. And we're walking with the Spirit, we're talking, we're, we're, our prayer life is, is, is sort of in a continual mode. Then we will stay away from those desires. Through the power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead will keep us from sinning this afternoon or this evening or this week when we go back to work and home and business and the things that we do. So that's two things we looked at. For the unbeliever, uh, we have freedom in Christ over the penalty of sin. That's our salvation. We're justified. And then as we're living our life as a Christian, we are freed from the power of sin. We are sanctified. We are being sanctified as we grow in our relationship with the Lord. And then the third thing is that we will be freed from the presence of sin. Big biblical word would be glorification. Pastor Darrell mentioned that as he closed this morning. So Romans chapter 8, talking about this, this is, this is more good news for us. As salvation freed from the penalty of sin, we're also freed from the power of sin, but we have to experientially be freed from the power of sin, and we will be freed from the presence of sin. And this is uh, talking about it here in, further along in Romans chapter 8. It says, For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Think about that. All of creation is looking forward to Christ's return. It's not just believers that are doing it. Creation is. How come? Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Back in the garden, Adam and Eve. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. If the creation is looking forward to the day when Christ comes, then how much more should we as believers be looking forward to that day? Talking about Fourth of July weekend, I was grumpy Friday night because I was doing all this stuff. Well, now Saturday comes. It's Fourth of July it's the day to celebrate, right? And I've got to cut the grass. I've got to check on the bees. I've got to fix in something for the chickens. And you think I'm a farmer, but I am not a farmer. <laughs> and so I'm doing all this work. And so by the, by the time we got to go for a hike, and we did the fireworks last night, we had a great time. But my ankle, I don't know what I did to my ankle and my back. And I was like, before we, I was talking to, to, to Mil, I told Mil, I'm taking the ibuprofen. You know, just so we can go celebrate. I'm thinking, I am not old enough for this. <laughs> Look, one day we will gloriously have freedom from death and decay. Uh, and I'm just, uh, I don't even, I, you know, I know so many of you have dealt with so many more severe things than that. But you know what I'm talking about, right? It will be a glorious day. Verse 22. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also grow 
grown, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. So the, the power of the Holy Spirit in us, when you have that little experience where you just say, man, that was awesome. Like, God just gave me the words to say, or God just enabled me to do that. God, God gave me the, just the attitude I needed to have. I don't even know where that came from. That's just a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too, and this, this should be us. When I say we too, this should be all of us. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children including the new bodies he's promised us. So the Bible speaks of this, a new heaven, a new earth will have new bodies. This is a, a glorious day. Like this is something, this is good news. We have good news as believers, freed from the penalty of sin, freed from the power of sin, looking forward to when we'll be free from the presence of sin, our justifi- justification, sanctification, and our glorification. We've got good news. We're going to share that good news with elementary campers this week. When, I, when, I, when, when we think of um, the, the 4th of July and celebrating our independence, we, we look back and we see that the British took offense when our forefathers declared their independence, that they were going to be free from their rule. It was offensive to the people of Nazareth when Jesus declared that he was the Messiah, that he had come to give freedom. People are offended today when we say, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through him. People are offended by that. Satan takes offense when we declare our freedom in Christ. That makes him mad. But we need to know where we stand with God, the freedoms, the, the freedoms that we have. Jesus knew that the world needed this message of freedom. And I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we know that our world needs that message of freedom. So as we celebrate the freedoms we have in our country today, I hope you keep hearing me. We're going to be at that picnic. I want you guys to be there with us. But we're also celebrating more than that. We're celebrating the freedoms that we have in Christ. When we go to the baptism uh, today, we're going to be celebrating the freedom in Christ that uh, Stella and Philip and Mason and Aiden have experienced. They're, they're, they're going to declare that to us today in their, in, in their baptism. We're going dec- to share that message of freedom with elementary campers this week, starting tomorrow. So I guess my question for each one of us today, where we have to start with, is are you free from the penalty of sin? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Have you recognized that you are a sinner in need of a Savior? That's where it starts. The, the next question then, if, if you answered, well, no, I've never done that, then today's the day. We're going to have people up front that will, pray, that will pray with you, that will talk to you, that will help you to understand that after the service this morning. Maybe today's the day that you have to say, you know what, I have been uh, allowing Satan to have a heyday in my life. I've been living underneath this power of sin, and the Bible tells me I have been freed from that, and I, today's the day I'm, gonna, I'm making a decision. I am going to start to live in that freedom I have in Christ. Again, we'll have people that will want to pray with you and talk to you and help you with that. But maybe today's the day where you say, you know what, God, I haven't 
I've been, I'm thankful for what I have, but I'm not really that concerned about where everybody else stands. And maybe today's the day that you say, you know what, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to give me opportunities to share about this freedom that I have, because I've not done a good job with that. So there's, there's, there's a bunch of different ways that we can think about this today. And my question, or my uh, request for each one of us is, is where, where are you at? Are, have you been freed from the penalty of sin? Are you free from the power of sin? Are you living in such a way? Nobody's, we don't get it perfect. Not yet, anyways, but we will one day. Are we concerned about the people around us? And so as we celebrate today, uh, let's be thankful, let's rejoice, let's have a good time, but also let's be aware of where we need to go from here. So uh, why don't you uh, pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, thank you for just the multiple ways in which you've blessed us as we've uh, come into this relationship with you and we've experienced this freedom from the penalty of sin. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today who's... who's, um, just recognizes that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. Lord, I pray today would be the day that they would acknowledge your work on the cross. They would say, Lord, I can't do it. I am uh, I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. But Jesus lived that perfect life, and he died for me. And I believe that. That might be for someone here today. Lord, I'm sure there's some that are saying, man, I, this, the power of sin. The sin's had a grip on me. Uh, but Lord, your word teaches that sin has no power over us as believers. Lord, would we recognize and would we uh, recognize that in our lives? Would we delight in your word? Would we make a decision to walk with the Spirit this week and in the weeks to come? Lord, I pray that if uh, uh, there's, there's maybe some here that are like, man, this is, this is great freedom and I've enjoyed it for too long by myself. Lord, give me opportunity to share that with others this week. Lord, I pray that as we leave here today, as we're excited about the freedom that we have, it would be something that we would want to share with people we come in contact to, or contact with. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your blessing. We don't deserve them, and yet um, it was a free gift that you gave us, and we are so grateful for that. May it change the way that we live as we look forward to that day when we'll be reunited with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.